Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. Sean Trotar here, Sandy Clough on my left. Thanks for joining us. The Denver Nuggets still basking in the glow of their championship. Of course, the NBA draft will be on Thursday. We'll talk about some of their options uh, over the course of the program, too. But we do want to lead off with the Denver Broncos because now that the OTAs are done, uh, this is it for the Broncos until training camp. And now everything that can be done prior to that is done. The adjustment to Sean Payton, I guess, is, you know, it's always a work in process, so it's underway. But it's no longer completely fresh and new. With the end of of minicamp last week, uh, that was basically it. Now, Justin Simmons called the experience of working with Sean Payton educational. Uh, The the word that uh, Cortland Sutton used was intricate when talking about some of the details. Complicated uh, offense. Yeah, of practices. And uh, some focuses that I thought were interesting and and telling. Uh, Sutton spoke a little bit about the fact that they had practiced a lot of situational football. End of half, uh, two minutes, clock management, a lot of situational football because the Denver Broncos lost a lot of those games last year on those margins. And and even if they had somehow managed to win 50% of those games, they were within one score. They still aren't making the playoffs, but it does feel as if you're looking at some of the immediate ways this team could improve. It is just better understanding of management of the game itself, uh, something that Nathaniel Hackett's staff basically seemed to just leave along the side of the road. I challenge any fan who had the luxury of watching <laughs> or uh, maybe the agony of watching the Broncos <laughs> in preseason, I challenge anyone in our business or among the fans who bore witness to training camp 22 to tell me what they were trying to accomplish in practice. I haven't gotten a sane answer yet. And this isn't something that all of a sudden in October we looked back on from two months earlier and decided, well, in in hindsight, I guess they didn't get much done during the preseason. No, this was being actively commented upon, uh, not by everyone, but I, I think maybe Hackett got the first week maybe as as someone who deserved some degree of benefit of the doubt. But after that, (laughs) you really, it, it wasn't so much that they weren't making contact in practice. In fact, there's a new study out on CTE, maybe the most advanced study yet, which shows that hitting in practice, if it results in no injuries over an extended period of time, is a very good thing. But the pace of practice doesn't have to slow down even when you're practicing out of pads. Yes. And that was what I could never understand, and it was never by insiders, outsiders, and everyone in between. It was never adequately explained to me how you could get ready for a season when you never ran. All the practices were, as Nathaniel Hackett liked to call them, pretty much jog-throughs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? that's what he called them. Not jog-throughs. walk-throughs exactly, but jog-throughs. And I'm saying, how are they getting into shape? I had no problem 
with their not practicing a lot in pads. I had no problem with their not playing starters during the preseason games. There are only three of them now. But I wondered how on earth are they going to be in shape for the opener? And as it turned out, they weren't. As it turned out, they had an unusual number of injuries during the season. And finally, as it turned out, they made some significant changes on the strength and conditioning side of things, mm-hmm. on the staff, and, of course, undid most everything that they had done last year. The one who became most undone was the head coach himself, Nathaniel Hackett, who didn't even make it to Week 18 of the 2022 season. So I, I think it'll be more interesting this year. I think there will be more going on in training camp and – I don't think the coach will be standing up there every day trying to uh, sell everyone, including his players, on how much fun it is to come to practice every day. I don't think that will be Sean Payton's point of emphasis. Uh, no, it does seem as if you know the idea for him is that this is a job. You're well paid for it. I'm well paid for it. Our job is to go win football games. Let's go find what we need to do to win football games. And and that is not a bad thing. It's the uh, it, it's oversimplifying, but it's the proverbial adult in the room, right? I mean, that's, uh, but at times for, for the Broncos, who have now gone through three consecutive first-time head coaches, including Vance Joseph, who returns this year as the defensive coordinator, uh, it, it became obvious, I think, that having someone with experience was imperative. Because now it's been so long since you've had someone with experience, it felt like the organization had really sort of lost its way entirely. And now with the changeover of, of, of ownership, uh, it, it feels like the right time to sort of restart the Denver Broncos. And, and, and make no mistake, that that's really what they're doing. They're restarting this team. They're rebooting this team on the fly. And they're doing it on the fly because in the NFL, you have to. That's the way it is. There's the, you can't take a year off uh, like Sean Payton did and, and, and then reset. You have to play through it. But for the Broncos, this is uh, sort of the beginning of a process of a restart. Now, the NFL allows teams to go from bad to good relatively quickly within two to three years, even as quickly as that, if you make all the right moves. For the Broncos, it's probably not uh, a span of two years. I don't think they're Super Bowl contenders next year, but I think they are finally moving in the right direction uh, by hiring Sean Payton, letting him do what he needs to do, because you have a guy that is a proven winner. His worst ever season is one game under 500. Seven and and nine. And it's not as if he's uh, new to the game. Well, and he only had three seasons of seven and nine and one at eight and eight during his 15 years coaching the Saints. Actually, 16, but there was 2012 in Bounty Gate, a season he did not coach. And that's a pretty good record. Three losing seasons out of 15 years, nine playoff trips. And the losing seasons years, are one game under? Nine top five offensive teams, top five in scoring in 15 years. Uh, very impressive. Uh, all the way around, won a little bit more than 63% of his regular season games, 152 and 89, 9 and 8 in the playoffs, uh, Super Bowl champs in 09. Uh, little concerning that in the last nine years, he won three playoff games, and that was it. Got off to a fast start because remember, in 06, they split their two playoff games. In 09, they went all the way to the Super Bowl and beat the Colts in one of the most. Uh, Entertaining Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. I, I I can remember watching uh, the Saints going from being down ten to nothing into the second quarter to winning the game thirty one nineteen. Tracy Porter with that pick off of Peyton yes. Manning, that former uh, Broncos. Yep, both former Broncos. As it turns out, the 
idea that Sean Payton can get things turned around quickly, of course, uh, has to do with his ability, but it also has to do with the roster. So these things have to work uh, hand in hand. And in Payton's case, uh, there there were changes to this roster. But the truth of the matter is, uh, the roster is not exactly overhauled. Uh, along the defensive line, there are significant changes. Along the mm-hmm. offensive line, there are significant changes. That's not a surprise because coming off the Bill Parcells uh, coaching tree, Parcells was one of those uh, coaches who told you, and correctly so, I don't believe, quite frankly, no matter how you dress up the game that has changed, that the game is still won play-by-play at the line of scrimmage. And, and Peyton's part of that. So it's not a shock that the Broncos' primary upgrades happened on those areas of the Well, team. you know, Peyton had a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees in all but one of his coaching years in New Orleans. Uh, at the risk of oversimplifying, I think what Parcells has represented as a head coach with his area of expertise centering on defense is matched by Peyton's expertise on offense. The coaching styles are very similar. It's just that the expertise is applied on different sides of the ball. That's all. And Parcells' defensive teams, particularly with the Giants, were consistently top five scoring defensive teams. And Parcells always had this guy named Lawrence Taylor around on defense, as well as a star-studded defensive cast. They may not have been as great as the 85 Bears were for one year, but over that stretch in the mid to late 80s, it was a better defense than Chicago had year in and year out. And actually, Chicago was great for just the two years, 85 and 86. The Giants were good defensively for about six or seven years, from about 84 through 90. And won two Super Bowls during that period, one with a backup quarterback. Right, right. Uh, Jeff Hostetler, of course, uh, in, in that role for the Giants. But when you when you look at Peyton's record, when you look at the way that, that he coaches, and we, we've talked about this a bit, where he ranks among coaches with only the one year off is interesting because when you go ahead and look around the NFL right now, there is sort of a renaissance of outstanding coaching happening all at the same time in the NFL. And this is one of the reasons, too, why for the Broncos bouncing back against uh, an AFC that is absolutely loaded at a time where historically that's not always the case. The AFC is completely loaded. But there's also a tremendous number of very, very good coaches in the league right now. But it doesn't mean that in Sean Payton's case, uh, when you look at where he stands today compared to where he stands sort of all time, uh, one sounds worse than the other, but the Broncos got themselves a pretty notable guy. Well, they did. And if you're looking at the number of wins in the regular season among current coaches, Belichick is third all time at 298. Reed is fifth all time at 247. Tomlin is 16th all time at 163. Carroll is 17th at 161. McCarthy is 20th at 155, and Sean Payton is 23rd at 152. John Harbaugh is two spots behind Payton, 25th all-time in wins, and just extremely impressive 
when you look at the current crop of coaches, and, I, as it, and people may take this as somewhat of a criticism, I, I'm not sure among coaches working today if he's a top five head coach, but I'm pretty sure he's a top ten head coach. And I think all time, he's probably in the top 30. I mean, 23rd all-time wins, as we said, 24th in win percentage among coaches who have coached uh, at least 50 games, uh, 28th in games coached all-time, 241, 20th in playoff wins, and 20th in playoff losses. <laughs> so, so it, but it's kind of funny somewhere to, to between say. 20 and 30, he consistently falls in most major categories. And, of course, he is known for finding ways to put points on the board. And it's especially impressive. Uh, his first year, 06, they became a top-five scoring offense. Uh, in his third and fourth years, they were top-five. And, of course, the fourth year was a Super Bowl championship year. 2011, they were top-five. And for five straight years... 2016 through 2020, the last five years of Drew Brees' career, not necessarily prime years for Drew Brees, the last five years of his career, they were top five in offense every year. Every year, five straight years. You're very, about, very impressive. It's, but it's funny to talk about a coach that you could argue is in the top 30 or even maybe 25 of all time, but is and you the, know what? in it, the top it, 10 currently. Um, among, I mean, that's remarkable. And the Broncos in spite of their recent pratfalls in selecting head coaches, have Dan Reeves, who's 10th all-time in wins, Mike Shanahan, who's 15th all-time in wins, and Red Miller, who's 19th all-time in win percentage among coaches who have coached for at least 50 games. The Broncos have had great coaches. Gary Kubiak won a Super Bowl here. You'd put him on the list. Having over the last... What? 47 years, mm -hmm. 46 years. Yeah, it's been by and large, pretty good. Very runs. good coaches. Right. Exceptional coaches, perhaps even all time great coaches, Hall of Fame caliber coaches. That's not bad. And it, it's, it's especially impressive in light of what we've seen with in the last 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. Approximately. Josh McDaniels, first-time head coach, right. fired in less than two seasons on the job. Vance Joseph fired after two seasons. Vic Fangio fired after three seasons, and it would have been two had there not been an ownership-slash-leadership issue within the Bronco organization. Fair way to put it. And the fourth was, of course, Nathaniel Hackett who didn't even last a full season. And but, uh, absent scandal, that is almost unprecedented for an NFL coach So to fail to last even one full season. It, re it really does. And it's funny, you bring up you bring up Kubiak, too, and it's, it's worth noting in his career. Remember, of course, he uh, hopped in with the Houston Texans, you know, when they started in, in 2002 and then became their second head coach following Dom Capers. But right. in only his second year as the head coach, he led the Texans to their first ever 500 season. Yes. And then they went 500 again. And then they went nine and seven and were second in their division. And then uh, it, it, he basically led them in the last two seasons, uh, full seasons as head coach uh, to the division title twice before right. then uh, having that, that disaster year, uh, two and 14, where he was fired, replaced 
uh, by Wade Phillips for the end of the year. So the, who was also fired. Who was also fired at the end of the year. But Kubiak, of course, the two combined in 2015 to form, uh, I think, the best uh, head coach coordinator tandem in the NFL. Yeah, as the uh, ex um, ex Texas head coaches <laughs> team it up again. But I mean, it, it, when you look at Kubiak's career record, obviously, he didn't you know he coached only for 10 years. And the career record was uh, seven games over 500 in the regular season. But at the same time, you have to remember where he joined. And, and, and the first guy to ever get the Texans to a winning campaign. His time with the Texans was 61 and 64. That was a team that was substantially, as an expansion team, below 500 by the time he got it. Brought them all the way up there and uh, and even got them into the playoffs a couple times. And then you, when you look at his playoff career record, by the way, uh, all told, Seven fourteen well, winning title with a uh, with a listen. John a Fox doesn't have those kinds of numbers, but John Fox, I think, will always enjoy a particular distinction as a Bronco head coach. Four he was here for four years, and they made the playoffs every year. They won the division, every and year. not even Red Miller did that. I mean, then, yeah, uh, Mike Shanahan was here longer. Boom, boom, Dan Reeves was here longer. They had years in which they missed the playoffs. For a coach to make the playoffs, hundred percent of the time. And then uh, get resigned after the 2014 season. Although uh, it's pretty clear that John Fox had a backup plan because about five minutes after he was uh, given a nudge on his way out, he had a deal with the Chicago Bears. And it was, of course, reported <laughs> before the final game he ever coached here that he would be going to Chicago if the Broncos lost to the Indianapolis Colts and then proceeded to fire John Fox, which is pretty much exactly what happened, as reported by uh, uh, Fox's uh, very good friend on the Fox <laughs> pregame yes. show. The Denver Broncos know they have the coach now. Now, what does that mean? What, is that, what does that actually directly equate to? That's difficult to say, and a lot of it has to do with how quickly the Broncos' offense, which was 32nd in the league, last year in scoring the only team to not even get 17 points a game on how quickly that yeah. can get better well you talked about how effective Peyton's been when it's come to scoring offense how quickly can they get the Broncos into shape and what does that actually look like next season coming up this fall how much better can they really be we'll talk about it next on My Life Sports it's gonna have to be a different man that may change me Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Since 2017, only four teams have lost more games than the Denver Broncos, and it's not exactly Murderer's Row. The Jets, the Giants, <laughs> the Jaguars, and the Lions. The Lions, by the way, uh, everyone's favorite little dark horse. You know to, what? Uh, to maybe make the playoffs. Those year. are all teams. Jaguars made teams. it last year. Jets uh, added Aaron Rodgers. Giants were in the playoffs Giants last year. The playoffs. Won a playoff game. The Lions All four got of those teams considered they might quite a bit more advanced the Broncos. than the Broncos. Yeah. Um, I, I will take this, though, when you talk about the idea of the offense getting better. And I, I, this is a, a taken from, I'll just read his sentences here. 
from uh, Nick Cosmeiter of The Athletic, who did a terrific piece on, on the potential of the Broncos' offense. And I'll just read it out outright. But there is another element for playing for Peyton that's attracted the Broncos' skill players. His ability to help players consistently perform at a career-best level individually, sometimes toppling franchise or league records in the process. In 2019, uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, they've had great players there as well, but Michael Thomas in this case, uh, Thomas ends up breaking Marvin Harrison's record for receptions in a season by six catches. Darren Sproles sets an NFL record in 2011 with 2,696 all-purpose yards. That's still the NFL record. That same season, uh, Jimmy Graham broke Kellen Winslow's then 31-year-old league record for a single-season receiving yards by a tight end with 1,310, though that mark since then has been topped by Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. And, of course, you know, you can talk about Drew Brees. But he has had the ability to identify talent in offensive players and then put them in positions to maximize their abilities. And he has done that rather consistently throughout his career. And I include Brees in that, who, when you have to remember, when... They got Drew Brees. He'd been injured in a game against the Broncos, who had sacked him in a safety, injured his shoulders, right. considered to be damaged goods, was already considered small, was not considered a guy with a big cannon, uh, and by far got the most out of Drew Brees, who retired basically with uh, more or less every stat in his pocket since been broken by Tom Brady. But the idea that, that Peyton has rather consistently over the course of his career found players and taken players in many cases that uh, he didn't draft or that, that he had uh, taken from some other area and made them into best versions of themselves. So he's done this before, and the Broncos certainly hope he can catch lightning in a bottle again, but it's happened more than one time. It's not as if he did this one time with this one player. Uh, you're talking about a tight end, a wide receiver, a running back, and a quarterback right there. Well, again, on the offensive side, in the last five years, he spent coaching the Saints. New Orleans was sixth in yards after the catch per reception. And in 2021, remember Breeze retired after the 2020 season, they were number five in the NFL with 5.76 yards on average. Yards per uh, uh, yards after the catch per reception. Sixth over a five-year period and actually fifth without Breeze in 2021. So uh, you're, you're talking about someone who believes in using his receiver's running ability and exploiting that. And when I think of the Saints offense, I think of all the action between the numbers. Uh, They were probably as good a passing team between the numbers as there was in the NFL over a 15, 16-year stretch, 2006 through 2021. And... That has not exactly been a Russell Wilson strength. And so if Russell Wilson is willing to learn and absorb some new lessons, I think there is an opportunity for him, even with diminished arm strength, to be an effective quarterback. And I say diminished arm strength, understanding that he had some shoulder issues last year. He had a hamstring injury, he had a groin injury, He had a knee injury. He had the concussion, of course, which would afflict a player of any age. But uh, the other injuries seemed to suggest that his body was breaking down. He certainly didn't seem as mobile last year, maybe in part due to the injuries. 
he seemed even to gain weight as the season went <laughs> a on. And he was a little more active as a runner in the final few games of the season, but his expected points added per drop back on deep throws was the second worst in his 11-year NFL career. And he got hurt when running a little bit more as well. Uh, you know, he did. That's so, when he suffered the concussion. That's, there's concerns on a about long that too. run, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact. I believe it was a 15-yarder that was uh, basically in the red zone that helped set up a touchdown, except he wasn't around to be a part of it. The challenges, of course, with, with getting this offense better, that there certainly is talent. There's talent at the wide receiver position. Jerry Judy really came on late, looked as good as any of the young receivers in the league, had a rapport with Wilson, and they were using the middle of the field. Uh, during a lot of that as well. Uh, Tim Patrick will be back. Cortland Sutton, hopefully a a year further uh, away from his injury, healthier. They uh, add Marvin Mims Jr. in the draft. Uh, K.J. Hamler, of course, gets hurt in the offseason, and the drafting of Mims, I think, signaled the end of Hamler's tenure tenure here one way or another. But uh, the Broncos are not short on receivers, and we talked about, we know about the tight ends that that you've seen there. Uh, Jimmy Graham, of course, is one thing, but they also had good years out of uh, Benjamin Watson, uh, and other tight ends out in this in New Orleans with the Saints. So uh, Greg Dulcich, Albert Okawebenam, they added uh, Troutman as well. Um, that there, there are tight ends there, so it's there's no shortage of weapons. Samaji Piran comes in, who's a great pass catcher, good in blitz pickup, very versatile player. The Broncos didn't go with much more there because they believe that Javante Williams will be, if not ready for the beginning of the regular season, shortly thereafter, and they are okay with Piran and maybe a committee. Going forward, yeah, but- I mean, we're, we're moving uh, back from our position perhaps initially on Javante Williams coming back, but the Broncos are actually saying he will be ready for the opening of training camp. Right. And implying that it isn't just standing around watching practice either. He'll be ready to go. The advantage is if, if for some reason he's not, I mean, look at the look at the running backs that are out there still right now. You will be able, if, if for some reason it gets to be training camp or it gets to be preseason and they realize, okay, he needs another month, maybe even you know month or two months, who knows what it is. Uh, the Broncos will be able to get running backs uh, somewhere to work with P. Ryan in that span of yeah. time. They were able to get Latavius Murray last year basically off the street. He was ended up being their best back. So uh, I'm not worried about the running back position. The running backs in the league, uh, while they are valuable, they are also somewhat fungible. And if you don't, really believe that feel free to just look at the money follow the money the big money guys uh, shortly after getting it find themselves looking for jobs uh, the broncos will be able to land running backs if javante williams isn't there but there's no question given the running back position given the tight ends given the wide receivers russell wilson has the weapons at his disposal the question now is how will he use them in this system and will he be able to make the change in mentality because all you have to do is go look at a at a heat map for Russell Wilson's career, whole career, year in and year out, there's a lot of similarities. Whole bunch of red deep down the sidelines. Russell Wilson prefers the deep sideline routes. He will pass up a higher percentage opportunities in the shorter and intermediate parts of the field in an um, effort to make deep passes. And at times, that may have cost them games last year. It certainly cost them a lot of sacks as well. And so Wilson, as he, this is this is sort of that great filter for all quarterbacks as they age. Can you make concessions to your increasing yes, limitations? And, and he seemed Tom Brady did it. Drew Brees did it. Peyton Manning did it. 
Uh, great he, quarterbacks. Warren Moon did it. Great quarterbacks have done it. He seemed oblivious to that fact. Or at least unwilling to. One of the two. But I think it was more oblivious. I think it was more just there was a belief, oh, I'm not, I'm not any, I can still do what I always did. But he can't. But in Seattle, that was the whole point in trading him. And all we heard when the trade was made was how illusion, uh, disillusioned Russell Wilson was with the Seattle Seahawks. And nothing was said, although it was more understated, it was still very much true that the Seattle Seahawks were very much disillusioned with Russell Wilson over the last two years. For that very reason, he refused to adapt. And they tried to help him and make suggestions, and he stubbornly refused uh, to adapt. And yes, there were some flashes, but everyone I spoke with last year, um, on the record, off the record, made some reference to that notion that he had been not necessarily in steep decline as we saw last year, Mm -hmm. but in more gradual decline for multiple years prior to the 2022 season. Basically, from the second half of 2020 on forward through the end of 2021, and obviously we saw what happened Last year, I want to make a brief correction. I said earlier that Sean Payton had had three seven and nine seasons. He had three in a row, 14, 15, and 16, uh, a fourth in 2007. So I stand corrected on that. Uh, But still, that's pretty good. Uh, Four seven and nine seasons and an eight and eight out of 15 years. Uh, And you win 152 games in 15 years. Even I can do that math. That's more than 10 wins a season. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, That's the it's norm. Been a tremendous, tremendous run. Or at least him. was in New Orleans. So th- th- there's reasons to believe with all of this, Sandy. You know, and I guess uh, I-, I think if you're the average Bronco fan and you look at this and you think, okay, well, we know they have weapons. We know they spent money on the offensive line to get it better. We know they have a better coaching staff that's provably gotten the best out of his players and, it- and regularly has uh, winning seasons. I. Why why won't the Broncos instantly become at least a wild card team, right? I, and I understand why for a lot of the fans, you put all those together and that that stands to reason. You're like, well, the Broncos, you know, up right up until this post Peyton Manning era, were always pretty consistent winners. When they're down years, uh, if they had a really bad down year, it was infrequent and they rarely strung them back to back or any for any stretch of time. And, and that's true. The Broncos are in the worst run they've ever had as an NFL franchise right now. Ever is an NFL and, franchise. And that's just simply a fact. It is. There's no other way that, around that it. They've never had this opinion. many consecutive losing seasons since mm-hmm. uh, the, the time that, that bridged their initial first couple years in the NFL post-merger. And, and their and the final years of the, uh, the AFL. Right. right. So that's, but that's as strictly an NFL franchise. Remember, they had a winning season, finally, in 1973. Mm-hmm. They had never had one That was only four years into the merger. But, but that so, was yeah. only their fourth year in the NFL. Mm-hmm. They had a winning season. And... Three years and later, they went to the Super Bowl. They came back in, uh, well, four. But they you're, had a, right. they had a nine you're. and five season in John Ralston's last year, and John Ralston got fired because the players and the front office agreed that that was their floor for 1976, nine and five. It wasn't the ceiling; it was the floor, and it was a prove it season after you fire one of the few winning coaches in the history of the franchise in John Ralston, who did have a winning record, 34, 33 and one 
That's not but, winning by much. But the first coach but that ever had one. it's a winning record. It's the first coach who ever had one, and they had, had a bunch of coaches up until that time. Uh, so they had to go out and prove it in 1977. Uh, this isn't analogous to that situation because the Broncos <laughs> no. were 5-12 and 12 last year, not 9-5. and five. But the idea of bringing in a coach who will provide a spark and who is all business. I Listen, the styles that Red Miller brought to coaching and Sean Payton brings to coaching are, are different, but Red Miller was a first-time head coach who was itching to be a head coach, was offered a job here, and he had been here before during the AFL years. First job offer he had from the Broncos following the 76 season was to come here and be Ralston's offensive coordinator. And for obvious reasons, red was not the least bit interested in that, but uh, Joe Collier convinced Bronco management once red had turned that job down, that if you named him the head coach, he wouldn't turn that down. And if he did Joe Collier, who never wanted to be a head coach after a brief experience in, in Buffalo, he just wasn't temperamentally inclined to be a head coach. He said, heck, I'll be the head coach if he turns you down again. If you offer him the head coaching job, he turns you down, I'll be your head coach. And Red Miller and Joe Collier were as close to co-coaches as any coaching combination has been in this city ever with the possible exception of Mark Crawford and Joel Quinville in 1995-96, a Stanley Cup year for the Avalanche. And, of course, Red and Joe Collier took the Broncos to a Super Bowl in their first playoff year, speaking of unprecedented feats. Um, this is not nearly as good a team that Sean Payton is taking over as that one was. But that team had never made the playoffs. AFL or NFL had never made the playoffs and this team has gone seven years, just like 1970 through 76, their first seven years in the NFL. Yes, winning seasons, but never a year in the playoffs for the Denver Broncos. So that there are some similarities in what Peyton is being challenged to do. And, of course, uh, Peyton is the only coach in the long history of this franchise who is hired after 15 years of head coaching experience with one team. Well, Sean Payton may be hard-pressed to get to those seven wins, which would be his low-water mark in his career. But if you are injured, you cannot afford that luxury. That's why you need to talk to our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com. The phone number is 720-845-7001. Hire the winner. That's our friends at Burnham Law. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for and winning for their clients. When you're injured, they'll push for you to get your maximum recovery, whether that's by settlement or by trial, and they're easy to get to. Locations all over Colorado, for Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, the DTC, and even in Cheyenne. So when you're hurt, don't hire someone off a billboard. Go get yourself the winners. That's our friends at Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. When we come back for the Denver Broncos, as we tend to look at, at the offensive side of the ball, we'll go to the defensive side of the ball. How good do they have to be? How good can Vance Joseph keep them based on an, an off, a defense plan, Ejiro Evero, that was pretty promising? And of the changes they made across the line, you pointed out, Sandy, maybe DJ Jones might be 
the third best player on the Denver Broncos, or at least considered stars. He's the anchor, but he's got two different wingmen. How will that change things? We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. For the Denver Broncos, now next stop, training camp. We've talked a little bit about Sean Payton. We've talked about the offense. We'll take a peek at the defense here. Vance Joseph hops in, coming back from not only being the Broncos head coach, but back in Arizona and bringing Zach Allen with him. Zach Allen and Frank Clark added now to the other side of DJ Jones in that base three, four. And as you pointed out uh, that that nose tackle spot isn't actually on the field uh, all that often, given the fact that you have all these multiple alignments to combat multiple alignments on offense, but it, it does feel as if that front three has the potential at least to be not only better than last year, but maybe a lot better. And you can, Talk about Allen and Draymond Jones, and honestly, when you look at their their career accomplishments, it's it's kind of 50-50, even though Draymond Jones has had uh, more sacks, but Allen's done a good job with pressures. It's it, They're pretty close, put it that way. But uh, even Frank Clark, at, at his age and the fact that he appears to be in decline, is a lot better than, well, what they had just been kind of lining up there, which at times turned out to actually be DJ Jones because they didn't have a better option moving Jones to the outside and having Mike Purcell in the middle. So now at least moving Jones back to where he is used to playing and adding Clark, in theory, upgrades two positions, even though you've only added one person. I think the defensive line will be better. Uh, you you worry a little bit about injuries there, but it, that that's a concern for a lot of teams along right. the defensive line these days. Uh, you, you're not expecting people in a base 3-4 along your defensive line to play 70 snaps a game. You're just not. Most teams, uh, I think most obviously, uh, any team coached by a Shanahan, in this case Kyle, they have a rotation of defensive linemen. And I wonder how deep the Broncos are. But I would agree with you that their base defense will be the same as it was last year, and the three guys up front are better. So how much does that... I mean, DJ Jones is still your nominal starting nose tackle, but I, I think they're probably better at the two end spots than they were going into the season a year ago. The interesting part of this defense is it stands, I guess. I look at it, and they added Drew Sanders in the draft, who may end up, a, don't be totally surprised, if ends up taking a job from either... Alex Singleton or Josie Jewell in reasonably short order. Uh, Sanders is a depending pretty, on his health, depending on health right now, not, not healthy. Uh, we're just kind of, you know, just dealing with a sort of a nagging injury that limited him in mini camp, but outside linebacker, when you have Randy Gregory there, who's really kind of more of a, a pass rusher uh, with Baron Browning on the pup list, you're talking about an opportunity, I guess, for Nick Benito to step up. If not, Jonathan Cooper has proven that he's done that uh, already, but, it is that middle level. The back end, when you talk about uh, Justin Simmons and Pat Sertan, where the two best players on the team are, I'm not terribly concerned. The combination of Caden Stearns 
And Kareem Jackson, I think, will be fine at safety. I like Damari Mathis. Now, he still has to make a, a leap forward to be, I think. I probably like Mathis a little more than you do. I I, I thought after the But you still have Kwan debut, Williams there as well. Yeah, but he, he's more of a slot he is. Uh, cover he, guy. He's almost primarily and, a slot and, guy. And I thought Mathis was pretty good, um, really quite steady, as a matter of fact over the second half of the season after, again, uh, by any measure, a disastrous debut in which they were seemingly throwing flags at him on every other pass. Right. And that's just more of an understanding of how you can, you know, how you can defend at the NFL level. It's a little bit different. So uh, it, it feels like the corner, the, the corners are, are, are fine. Uh, I think they're whole, better. So I think they're is, actually better at corner than people think. Uh, if that's the case, we know that the safety, they're pretty good. So, uh, it, it seems to be the linebackers that are spot. But when you look at, at this defense on the whole, we know that there's going to be a concern in generating pressures. The Those starting 11 with Baron Browning on the pup list is, stands at 18 and a half sacks total last year. That's the whole 11. Uh, yikes. And the funny thing is if you take, uh, you know, DJ Jones out of it, uh, a guy that's not getting a lot of sacks, of course, in his role, uh, it drops because he's one of the guys that did get a couple sacks last year. So, Generating pass rush is a concern, but it seems that the overall talent is as good or better than last year's. Is there reason to believe this defense can actually improve from where it was last year? And I know there's a lot of ways to look at it because people look at points per game. That's not a be-all, end-all because when you're paying the Denver Broncos last year and you know if you score 17, you've basically won the game, uh, you don't have to score that. But by the same token, you know you can be conservative and you're not going into every game thinking we have to get 24 to 30 points today in order to win the game. Right. As you are against the top offensive teams Mm -hmm. in the league. And I'm not just talking about the top five. I'm talking about top 10, even top half of the league. You're thinking in almost every case, if we don't score 24 to 30 today, we can't win. Against the Broncos, 20 to 24 would do the job in just about every instance. So that counterbalances for me uh, the idea that uh, you know people could uh, take advantage of the Broncos not scoring very much and put more points on the board. Um, I, I think, in fact, it, it depressed scoring a little bit because teams could get ahead, and they said, as long as we don't turn the ball over, there, there's no way they'll put together more than maybe, maybe two scoring drives of more than 50 yards. They're, just, they're not capable of doing that. At the same time, I, I think, of, of course, compared to the offense, the defenses look good for the last seven years, just about every year. But then you have these particular games in every season and we can, once we get close to training camp, look back at some of those games in more detail. But the obvious example from last year was Christmas Day at SoFi against the Rams when they gave up 51 and appeared to collectively quit. Now, were they quitting on the head coach? Uh, they certainly weren't alone in doing that. The offense had quit weeks earlier on the head coach. And the head coach, of course, was fired after that particular game, as I recall. But in other years, there have also been examples that when really tested, 
whether it was Fangio, whether it was Vance Joseph, when they were really tested, they fell apart defensively. The, the irony is that they have almost always played their best defensive football against the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. But it hasn't been enough to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And I say this every year. I will take this team seriously when they figure out a way to beat the Chiefs. Either here or there, it doesn't matter. I assume it would be easier to do here, although some of their closer games against the Chiefs have actually come in Kansas City, not in Denver. We can remember a lot of Denver blowouts going back to the 2015 season. As a matter of fact, Mm -hmm. when this rather ridiculous streak began. What is it now? 13 games in a row they I, lost I think, Kansas City? Yeah. Or is it 15? I think it's more than that now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's long. Well, it's seven. It's got to be 15, right? Because I think it's, 15. it's 16 through 22. That's mm-hmm. seven years, two times a year. And the last game they played in it's, 15. It's so bad. I stopped here counting, and they, it they lost. So it's 15. It's 15. Uh, but often... They have played well, and I think if you were to list the teams that have been, and I'm being fair here, mm-hmm. I hope, in in praising them for this, if you were to list the teams against whom Patrick Mahomes has been least effective, the Broncos would be on that list among yep. the top four or five teams I think you're that right. have been most effective against Mahomes, the problem being that Mahomes' team has won every single one of those games. Yeah. Uh, and it, and because it, Mahomes, at his worst, is better than any quarterback the Broncos have thrown out against him over the time he's been the starting quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. There yeah. hasn't been one game where you would go in saying that the Broncos are even close to having a quarterback who can match Mahomes throw for throw. So if you ever beat him, it would have to be 20 to 16 or even a lower score than that. And Patrick Mahomes doesn't have games where he scores between 14 and 20 points. Those games just don't happen. And that said, give you this, they are in that streak. In the last three, they've been within one score. In four of the last five, they've been within one score. Now, of course, sometimes that's misleading. There was also a chunk uh, in this run, too, by the way, in 2017 or 2018, where they were within one score in three straight losses, too. Yeah, uh, you're right. It can be misleading, but it, they have, I think, your point there in, in the fact that they have limited they, played respectable defensive football. Yes, it hasn't been against Mahomes. Now, has he embarrassed them uh, here and there? Yes. But generally speaking, no, he has not embarrassed them. He made that left-handed throw against them to beat him yeah, out of the ball game. Uh, when when Vance was here, they had a game, I think, on a Monday night here, in which they should have won. They were they were up in the fourth quarter, and you know we'll go back and redo the autopsy on all these games at some point when to. they get <laughs> when they get close to playing the Chiefs. We'll, right. we'll do a little bit of that, but again, to be taken seriously, they. They've got to end that ridiculous 15-game losing streak against Kansas. But you, but you look at uh, his career. Otherwise, numbers. they're not serious. Patrick Holmes' career numbers. Uh, when you look at basically, you know, a passer rating, his career passer rating 
is 105.7. His touchdown to interception ratio in his career is 192 to 49. So that's essentially five five to one. Do you have the Denver numbers? Pardon me, four to one. Uh, I do. On his rating? His passer rating on average from 105.7 in his career is 96.6 against Denver. That's respectable. His, now, that's above average. His touchdown by to inter- NFL standards, but below but his not average. Much, but uh, well below his average. In yes. his career, 18 touchdowns to eight interceptions. Slightly better than 2-1, to one, where he's been 4-1 to one over the course of his for, career. For a team that's had trouble intercepting quarterbacks, the fact they have eight against Mahomes isn't bad. So, I mean, it's it, it's, it's, it's kind of surprising. And on average, they actually get one and a half sacks per game against Mahomes, which is also higher than his uh, his normal. So, yeah, it's they, they have actually found a way to to limit him, which has kept them in games. So a, a lot of that stays. And it's, it's great because in part in the best two players in your team, one's a corner and one's a safety. That matters a lot. So, you know, we'll find out as the season comes along. But that that's sort of as we look at it now. Uh, just about probably roughly a month. The exact date, by the way, for training camp has not been settled. The NFL did earlier today release some of its off-season dates regarding uh, franchise players and transition players, but the start of training camps were not one of those numbers and dates that the NFL released today, so we'll know a little bit. But it's roughly about a month out. Uh, we'll, we'll take a look as this continues to go along over the next month, but we want to turn our attention to the Denver Nuggets, the NBA draft. This is what happens when you go win the title. Uh, the draft, by the way, is Thursday. So what will the Nuggets do? What can they do to try to keep that championship window open? We will talk about that and maybe touch a little bit back on the Denver Broncos with our friend Aaron Anderson from Fox 31. We'll do that next on Miley Sports. On a long and lonesome highway East of Omaha You can listen to the engine The morning out is one old song 